0: minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all qualified customers contact us before canceling accounts continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge apply ctmobile.com
1: the crisis next door a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host jason brooks Thank you for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. The video images coming from Israel and Gaza have said it all this week. Plumes of black smoke, high-rise buildings turned into piles of crumbled masonry, and death and despair on both sides. It's the heaviest fighting between Israel and Hamas since 2014, and it threatens to get worse. Joining The Crisis Next Door to talk about the escalation is Ryan Boll, a Middle East and North Africa analyst with a geopolitical risk firm, Stratfor. He's also written for Time and Salon, among other publications. Ryan, it's good to have you back on The Crisis Next Door. Well, Thank you for having me. Ryan, the IDF and Palestinian militants in Gaza haven't slugged it out like this in several years. Is this another case of a pressure valve releasing steam or possibly the beginning of a more protracted and deeper conflict?
0: Well, it's, it's a bit of both at the moment. The tensions that have been building up between Israel and Hamas had moved into something of a manageable state. They'd entered this level of an unstable deterrence between the two of them. Israel had arranged for humanitarian aid and Qatari cash to go to the Gaza Strip that would help keep Hamas in power. In exchange for that, uh, Hamas would hold off on launching attacks on Israel. And that arrangement had worked for for several years, even though there were some major flare-ups in 2018, 2019. At the end of the day, the two sides could come together and, and hash out yet another aid for peace deal. Uh, What changed this time is events on the ground, particularly within Jerusalem, where Palestinian protesters trying to block the eviction of Palestinians from East Jerusalem in the the Sheikh Jafra neighborhood uh, began to occupy areas around the Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and Israeli police decided to respond with a a pretty strong response of uh, tear gas and stun grenades. And when they did that, that then unleashed a lot of tensions that, that had been building up on the grassroots level between Palestinians and Israelis on numerous, in numerous communities, both in East Jerusalem, within Gaza, and now as we're seeing spreading throughout Israel within Israeli Arab communities themselves. So we have a grassroots trigger to this one, as opposed to a strategic trigger that we might have expected. And it looks like at the moment that what Hamas has done, as well as the other Gaza militants like Palestinian Islamic Jihad, they've decided to exploit this moment. They are, they're they're looking at a moment of Israeli disadvantage because Israeli politics is paralyzed. They're still trying to form a new government. They may even go to another election. Um, They've lost their key ally in President Donald Trump from the United States. They can no longer expect the Americans to back them uh, unequivocally. And Hamas decided that that this was a moment to try to reshape that aid for peace arrangement. And now we're stuck in an escalation ladder. Because as Hamas uses rockets and missiles to try to pressure the Israelis, the Israelis are now increasingly interested in restoring deterrence on their terms. And what that means is that the Israelis have a set of targets that they want to work through that they believe if they can hit those targets uh, successfully, they can put Hamas back into the box that they want which is a Hamas that accepts that Israel controls the borders and that Israel uh, has certain security demands and will provide certain amounts of aid, but that Hamas is, is unable to dictate to the relation to the relationship in the way that Hamas seems to be trying to do right now.
1: The rocket barrages are unlike anything we've seen before from Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Hundreds of rockets at a time focused on single cities, and to date, The most destruction rained on Tel Aviv from Gazan rockets. Israel's Iron Dome defense has knocked out most of the rockets, but many have gotten through. Have the Palestinians figured out Israel's defense?
0: To an extent, the Palestinians already knew what the holes in the Iron Dome defense system were, which is if you launch enough rockets, uh, some of them will eventually get through. And that's part of the reason we're seeing such widespread barrages. We're seeing these saturation attempts that are trying to overwhelm the Iron Dome. Uh, the IDF themselves, they'll admit that the Iron Dome doesn't work 100% of the time. It's more like 85 to 90% of the time, uh, depending on the battery and, and depending on things like the weather and the types of rockets being used. So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to saturate um, the Iron Dome system to get some of these rockets through. On a certain level, uh, the Iron Dome system works for the Palestinians. It works for Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad because it allows them to do large-scale demonstrations of force, but then they don't inflict heavy Israeli casualties that could incur a ground invasion of Gaza, something that would be disastrous for these militant groups. It would also be, on a different level, disastrous for the Israelis. So uh, on a certain level, the Iron Dome system is something they rely on when they're launching these large-scale barrages, but it's also something that they're trying to overwhelm with these large-scale barrages. And the strikes on Tel Aviv are part of that strategic calculation of trying to reshape the relationship with Israel. By hitting the largest city, by hitting its metropolitan heart, they're trying to tell the Israelis that they are a serious threat and that the Israelis need to be more forthcoming with aid and support for the Gaza Strip. Are there
1: any reliable assessments of how many rockets the Palestinians have stored in Gaza? And given Israel's blockade of Gaza, how impressive is it to you that Hamas and the PIJ have been able to scale up their rocket production as well as improve their range?
0: So the guessing game on how many rockets the, uh, Gazans or the Gazan militant factions have ranges anywhere from 5,000 to the low, low 10 to 12,000, somewhere in that vicinity. The IDF has said that they have fired around 1300 of those so far. So we still have potentially weeks worth more of, of an arsenal to use up, uh, and that the Israelis are going to have to continue to try to interdict. So it, it is a substantial amount, um, It is something that isn't to be unexpected, given that Hamas has been smuggling in components and learning how to build these things within Gaza itself over the years. Many of these systems are pretty simple. Uh, They're they're designed to be made out of uh, ordinary components that can be brought in through aid, Uh, or can be used, you know, dual use uh, materials that could be used for civilian projects, and they simply reappropriate them for military work. What is impressive is that Hamas appears to have extended their range, and we've seen strikes that have gone as far north as Nazareth. Uh, The more that Hamas enters that stage where all of Israel is under their rocket or missile threat, the more the Israelis have to spread out their defenses, the more difficult it is for the Iron Dome system to provide protection to the entire country. Um, this puts Hamas a little bit closer to the kind of threat that Hezbollah is, because Hezbollah, with a direct supply route to Iran going through Syria and Iraq, they have those rockets and missiles that can go throughout the entirety of Israel, and the Israelis know it. Um, and that makes the Israelis a lot more hesitant to try to use force against Hezbollah because they're such a formidable missile and rocket power. Hamas is starting to inch in that direction where that comparison is it's starting to look closer and closer.
1: Do you get the sense that Israel also understands that and, and that it, it does not want Hamas to be on the same military level as Hezbollah and it's going to try and prevent that from happening and that might deepen this current conflict?
0: That is the Israeli doomsday scenario. They've always been concerned about what they call a a two-front war, that is one in Lebanon with Hezbollah and another with Hamas in the south. The more capable Hamas becomes, the closer that sort of situation could come to to fruition. And the problem for the Israelis, unlike in the past, these guerrilla forces Um, are very different from the big Arab armies of the Syrians and the Egyptians back in the 60s and 70s. Those had the battalions that could be disrupted. They had political leaders that that were afraid of losing, you know, having massive military defeats. Hezbollah and Hamas often gain political victories simply by surviving, which makes them very difficult to defeat militarily. And they also just don't have the kind of targets that the Israeli army is is capable of destroying. They, They don't have big tank battalions. They have guerrillas hiding within civilians. And that is a big strategic challenge for the Israelis. And that is part of the reason that the Israelis decided after the attacks on Jerusalem to up their escalation against uh, Hamas. They went beyond what they normally do uh, during this phase of aid for peace. What they've normally done is they strike the rocket sites and maybe some of the people associated with the initial rocket strikes but when Jerusalem was struck they decided to escalate and start hitting not just the initial rocket sites for for the the platforms that launched the attacks but also to expand throughout the whole network of rockets uh, and also started targeting uh top level commanders all of that started to it suggests that the Israelis very much want to use this moment to try to reduce Hamas, uh, Hamas's strength change this strategic growth that they're having uh, at the very least limit it um as best they can and That opens up the question, if the air campaign doesn't do that to their satisfaction, the Israelis then have to consider the much more dangerous uh, scenario of a ground incursion or even a full ground invasion. We've seen political rhetoric around Gaza sort of shift away from the idea that Gaza is to be managed to some on the right suggesting that it needs to be reoccupied, because by leaving it, they've left it to Hamas, and Hamas has used it to strengthen themselves. Um, We're not there in that point where anybody wants to reoccupy Gaza, but the the fact that it's being brought up by politicians shows that the Israelis are worried that Hamas is entrenching itself to a point of no return, where they really could be a viable two-front war threat.
1: You're listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks, and we're talking about the fighting between Israel and Hamas with Ryan Boll, a Middle East and North Africa analyst with a geopolitical risk firm, Stratfor. Ryan, do you think Hamas would consider entrapping Israel into a ground incursion into Gaza, realizing that it could receive political benefits worldwide from Israeli soldiers being in Gaza fighting against Palestinian militants? Is that a bet that Hamas would be willing to make given the tremendous sacrifices that it would face along the way.
0: So it is an open question about whether or not Hamas does have split factions between moderates and and militants. The militant factions would most likely want to engage directly with the Israelis. They always like confrontation with the Israelis, and they believe that the more Israeli casualties they can occur, the greater legitimacy they get, and the more likely they are to draw the Israelis into battles in which there are civilian casualties, and civilian casualties typically isolate Israel from its allies. That's something the militant factions want. The, The pragmatists or moderates recognize that a ground incursion could one drive the group back underground and and set them back uh years or even decades of 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 political and governmental progress that they've made They, they really have built a statelet in gaza and a ground incursion could undo that they also realize that if the israelis simply go into gaza and then leave uh hamas is left with the reconstruction bill all of the damage that is left behind all of the destroyed infrastructure that's something that hamas has to find a way to fix because otherwise, ordinary Gazans start to turn on this group. And we've actually seen some of these protests against the Hamas rulers, in large part because they haven't been able to provide enough aid. Uh, that's part of the reason that, the, that Hamas's leadership was willing to engage in this aid for peace uh, scheme with the Israelis, because it was providing them with the money and the reconstruction materials that they needed even to fix damage left over from the 2014 war. So it depends on which faction gets the upper hand. The more the Israelis strike targets in Gaza, the more casualties there are, the more top-level Hamas or, or Palestinian Islamic Jihad commanders are killed, the more the militant factions get the upper hand in that conversation. Um, we will have to watch and see how far the Israelis are willing to go. Um, but at the moment, uh, it's going to end up depending on which of those factions end up being the, the, the one leading Hamas's strategy.
1: Where is the Palestinian Authority in all of this in the West Bank? Is there any chance that the Palestinian Authority, Fatah, would also come to the aid of Hamas in some way by striking out against Israel? We have certainly seen a number of clashes between Israelis and Arabs in Israeli cities where they both live, and that has also
0: seemed to encourage Hamas in keeping up its barrage. So with the Fatah calculation, the Palestinian Authority calculation, they recognize that their legitimacy works differently than Hamas, whereas Hamas can get Popularity points from confronting Israel, both internationally and from ordinary Palestinians, Fatah doesn't quite get the same rewards by taking on Israel. Uh, the Palestinian Authority is dependent on aid from the West and the United States. If they begin confrontations, deliberate confrontations with the Israelis, they risk that aid. It, w- it would mean that their salaries get cut off. Their um, much of their economy would lack, uh, would would stop having cash flowing through it because they require. Not only, cooper- not only aid from the West, but they also require the Israelis' cooperation to collect taxes. So this is a kind of a, a, a mini crisis that happened last year where the Israelis actually collect taxes on behalf of the Palestinian Authority, then transfer it over to the Palestinian authorities, which allows them to pay their people who um, work for the government, and that is a substantial part of the West Bank's economy. All of that becomes at risk if they decide to take on the Israeli government or the Israeli settlers. That's part of the reason we've seen them be restrained, is that there's a direct economic incentive. There's also a direct political incentive, because if they take on the Israelis and they lose, it's going to make them look weak compared to Hamas, and it could increase Hamas's control and legitimacy in the West Bank, something that they were so concerned about that they've ended up delaying their own elections, possibly indefinitely, because they were worried that Hamas was going to win. So taking on the Israelis, doesn't have very many upsides for Fatah or the Palestinian Authority, and it has a fair bit of downsides. But that being said, we have seen violence throughout the West Bank. We've seen some gun battles in places like Jenin uh, and outside of Nablus and Hebron, places that are typical flashpoints. These don't seem to be backed directly by Fatah, but that kind of grassroots violence and the Israeli responses to it could push Fatah into a more confrontational place where it feels compelled to try to either cut ties with the Israelis or even organize things like protests and strikes, which could get out of hand and end up causing much more of an escalation in the West Bank.
1: Ryan, Egypt is trying to broker a cessation of hostilities. How key is Cairo in this?
0: Egypt is one of the primary uh, mediators for ending this conflict. Uh, The Gaza ceasefire structure typically goes through either Qatar or Egypt. And we've seen this happen multiple times uh, since the militants took over in 2006. So what will most likely happen is that either Cairo or Doha will be involved in these talks at a certain point when basically what we see is uh, the Israelis are ready to talk. We've seen multiple attempts by factions within Hamas to signal that they're ready for a ceasefire. Whether or not they're ready for a genuine ceasefire is not clear, but Hamas has been trying to signal that they're ready for an off-ramp at, any, at, at different points, including yesterday where they told the Russians that, they, that they're ready to talk about a ceasefire. The Israelis have been a lot more obstinate about it. They've been saying that they have no interest in, a, in any talks right now. But when the Israelis change their mind, once they work through the uh, target set that they've got internally, that's when they're going to approach the Egyptians and possibly the Qataris to try to bring an end to this conflict swiftly.
1: Condemnations from the Arab and Muslim world against Israel for its response to the rocket attacks has been widespread. Israel has made diplomatic progress with several countries in the region, including the UAE,
0: Bahrain and Sudan. Is that now in danger? The relationship with the, that the Israelis have with these normalized states somewhat stands apart from the Palestinian issue. And and, and that kind of goes towards the wider trend that we've seen where the Palestinian issue is not as important to many of these governments as it used to be. And I kind of use the analogy about the way that many people in Europe or the United States think about the rainforest. Like we all agree we should do something about it and that we should try to save it. But then we're not willing to actually put any skin in the game we're certainly not willing to carry out sanctions or military action to try to save the rainforest and that, that's sort of where the palestinian issue has shifted for many populations many people are very interested in it and they support it rhetorically and when they can diplomatically but they're no longer willing to upend relations over it um, the emiratis and the bahrainis are starting all of these very big business deals with the israelis they're gaining his access to israeli technology In the UAE's case, they're advancing on the F-35 advanced uh, fighter jet from the United States. That is a reward for normalization with Israel. There's many things that they risk by upending it, uh, by trying to pull away from their relationship with Israel. And there's not a whole lot that they gain from it because their populations simply aren't as motivated by the Palestinian issue, except for at moments like these. In moments of crisis, people are agitated and they're very animated about, about the issue. But when the crisis cools down and when there's a ceasefire, that's when that domestic constituency starts to focus on issues closer to home and the benefits that they can get out of Israeli out of Israeli technology and Israel's economy. That being said, uh, it is possible that we see things like what Turkey's relationship is with Israel. Turkey and Israel have been uh, having formal diplomatic relations since the late 40s. It's one of the oldest relationships Israel has with the Muslim world. That being said, when moments like this happen, Turkey goes into a ritual of diplomatic condemnation, and some economic interruptions, barring flights, banning tourists, expelling ambassadors. And then when the moment passes, they tend to bring those things back. That is a pattern the Israelis could experience with these normalized countries in which they have temporary penalties for their behavior in the West Bank and Gaza, that then those penalties are rolled back once the situation with the Palestinians calm down.
1: Ryan, we're getting reports this morning that Iran's nuclear program has increased uranium enrichment to its highest level yet. Do you think that Tehran sees an opening here to make some sort of move in the Middle East with Israel occupied with Hamas?
0: At the moment, the Iranians are unlikely to try to exploit this because they recognize that the first this is not the full array of Israeli power that is being used in Gaza. It's still only a fraction. The reservists haven't been fully called up. Only a few thousand have. So if they decided to try to exploit this moment, it risks putting Israel into a national emergency mode, at which point the full uh, mobilization of the Israeli military would happen. And then Israel may decide to be much more aggressive. Uh, against Iranian forces in Syria, in Lebanon, even in Iran itself. So if the Iranians are calculating that this is a moment to take advantage of a distracted Israel, they might be miscalculating in that sense. And it seems more likely that what they want to do is they want to be able to use this escalation with their uranium program to put pressure on the talks with the United States, as opposed to directly threaten the Israelis. Um, And another major factor for the Iranians is that if they decide to exploit this moment against the Israelis with some sort of physical attack or even nuclear escalation, they risk pushing the Americans back onto Israel's side and and breaking these talks that they're now making some tepid progress with. So the Iranians are very calculated with what they're doing. They do in, they do want to see the Israelis distracted. They want to see them set back, but they don't want to put too much of their power into making that happen because the risks for them of alienating the europeans alienating the united states in these nuclear talks are greater than the gains they might make against the israelis in a moment like this
1: now the risk right now is certainly very high across the middle east in particular in israel and gaza as the fighting continues we will see how long this latest slugfest continues ryan thank you very much for joining us here on the crisis next door thank you jason we've been joined by ryan boll a middle east and north africa analyst with a geopolitical risk firm stratfor He's also written for Time and Salon, among other publications. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at TCNDpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's TCNDpodcast at kcbsradio.com.